Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal. From my Warwick home on a chilly Friday morning, hunkering down. The snow is coming this weekend. We're getting ready. It's about to feel like winter for the first time here early in 2024. Uh, We want to wish you Happy New Year. Hope it was a great time over the holidays with family and friends. Uh, I am joined by my co-conspirator, as always, the sports director at ABC6, the weekend co-host of Cordishian Coit on WEI Providence. Nick Coit, ladies and gentlemen, Coity, happy 2024. Happy 2024. Can you hear me, Bill? Check, check this thing on. Check, check, check. Coit's got to... uh, new toys here. Brand new microphone for the pod. <laughs> my uh, my very good friends, Ryan and Elise and Jeff and Brittany all got together. They said, you know, when you do broadcast from home remote, you don't sound very good. I said, well, thanks, guys. I appreciate that. So <laughs> here I am talking to you through a brand new microphone. So hopefully you can hear me loud and clear. And it's uh, it's coming in hot. And we're coming in hot here to 2024 with our uh, college hoops talk. I'm like having friends, huh? Oh, they're the best. They just tell you how it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how was uh, how was Christmas, Coit? Uh, great. It was great. Uh, quick. As always, this time of the year, uh, but had some time Christmas Day didn't didn't do much, which was a, a great thing. Um, and then worked through New Year's. I think as I've gotten older, New Year's has gotten uh, less and less of a thing. I think it was great when I was younger. So, so yeah, kept kept working. I take my time off during the summer, so just keep on grinding. How about you? Yeah, Christmas is good. Uh, lots of time with the family. Um, you know, really cool to watch the nephews on Christmas, just tear open everything and play with toys all over living rooms. And, uh, you know, their excitement for it is fun. And then New Year's, like you, uh, I'm up past midnight every night. So who really cares about, you know, <laughs> yes, it's, not, <same. laughs> it's not a novelty that, oh, hey, we made it to midnight. Uh, that's nope. not in our job. Uh, that's nope. every night. Uh, nope. And I could also go out any night I want. Um I for New Year's I went to O'Rourke's. It's a nice bar in Patuxent Village for folks who haven't been there. Uh on the War Cranston line. I had a couple Guinnesses and called it a night. I was there for about an hour. Um, Beautiful. You know, it got me off the couch. It was enough. Uh and we turned the page to 2024. And you know, we hope it's a a great year for everybody out there. Uh, you know, certainly your resolutions guy quite or no? Uh not really. I just kind of look at the year and say, all right, what are the big things? What do I need to get ready for? And yeah, and then I just kind of mark it down. Okay, what do I need to do to get ready for those things? And then yep. go from there. So yeah, same. If, if big, you, like, my, like my brother always says, you know, why wait until New Year's if you have resolutions? Just start now. Right. He's, he's wiser than me as we get older. <laughs> so it's a little scary. 
Um, he is wiser than than me at times. Um, quite, we have to start with uh, a sour note to start 2024 uh, in Friartown. Providence losing to Seton Hall 61-57 on Wednesday night, a game that's supposed to be a celebration of Providence being in the national rankings and wound up anything but for different reasons than the scoreboard. Bryce Hopkins, early in the second half, goes down with a left knee injury. We find out Thursday morning through an MRI. It is a torn ACL. He will miss the remainder of the 2023-24 season. Um, and quite, you know, going into the year, you, you look at Providence and you think you've got three core guys pretty much who need to stay healthy, who are going to be the most productive players on this team. Hopkins, Devin Carter, Josh Duro. Um, losing one of them would make it very difficult to go back to the NCAA tournament. And you know, in Bryce's case, uh, to see him go down like that, to, to see that injury unfold the way it did, the mood in the building, how quickly it changed, um, how quiet it was in the aftermath. Uh, you know, first and foremost, we we wish Bryce the best in, in his recovery, his surgery coming up. Um, you know, from what we know about him, the time we get to spend around him, he's a good kid. Uh, you know, hard worker ha- has done a lot to get himself to this point. Not that anyone deserves to to ever get hurt, but this guy is toward the bottom of the list of of people you would wish this on. Um, you know, so certainly hope that that his recovery is is a smooth and and quick one. Um, you know, but for right now, Coit, th- this certainly places major doubts on Providence's season going forward. Yeah, um, first thing I think of, as you said. Bill is is Bryce and his family and his future and you just hope that when you have a major injury like this um you know hope the best that that he gets back makes a full recovery uh and is able to you know still go after and achieve the goals that he's had um as a young man and as a basketball player um that's that's the first thing I think of and you're right it, it's when you're in a building like that it, it's it's jarring. It's shocking um, the way it happened, um, and you just you feel terrible for the kid going through it as as a young man. Um, but he's got a he's got a lot of support behind him. I think I think people, you know, his family has rallied around him. The team and the program has rallied around him, and the fans I think have really rallied around him too. Um, and he said as much on on social media on Thursday night. Um, so I'm glad that he sees the outpouring of support that he has because he's, uh, he's one of the good ones. He's been a, a really great kid ever since he's gotten to Friartown to, to talk to and interact with. And, um, he's been great off the floor too. Does a lot of community events. You know, you can see that he knows he's a great representative of the program. So, um, you know, it just, it stinks. It stinks basically. Um, and so, you know, you wish him the best and, and hope that he makes a full recovery. Um, that's the first thing I, I think of with with this, uh, you know, particular situation. And then you, and then you start thinking about the team here now that it is, you know, we're what, 36 hours removed as we're uh, recording this. Now you start thinking, OK, so where do they go from here? Um, I, I think the good thing about Providence is that they've got a lot of really talented players They've got a lot of really good kids that have, you know, good head on their shoulders. And this coaching staff, I think, has has the right mentality. Um, even in the immediate aftermath, you know, seeing Kim English say, like, look, it's we love Bryce, but you know, we've we've got a season to to continue with here, and we've got to prepare for our next opponent with Creighton. They're coming up on Saturday. And so 
we got to roll with the guys that we have. And so that's what they're going to do. And good news is he's talked about the three guys that needed to stay healthy. Well, two of them still are on the floor. It's Josh Adero, Devin Carter. And, you know, you lean on those guys for leadership going forward. And then the guys around them, there's opportunity here. When, when these things happen, Bill, opportunity presents itself. And, you know, there are, there are players here in the Providence program. They're going to have a chance to step forward, get more minutes, and make a real impact. And that's going to be the fascinating thing with this team going forward is who steps up. Yeah, certainly uh, a different calculus now in, in terms of lineups for Kim English. And you go back to his press conference, really, his introductory press conference at Alumni Hall. You know, a couple of takeaways were, were first, mindset. You know, this is going to be the, the watchword of our program, mindset, You know how we control our mentality, uh, how we attack each day, our approach in, in that way. Um, the other catchphrase that came out of that was, so what, now what? Um, and they're going to be taking that going forward. Bryce is hurt, so what, now what? You know He made the point, we love Bryce, our fans love Bryce, our opponents aren't going to care that Bryce is hurt. They're not going to feel bad for us. Creighton's nope. certainly not going to feel bad for them Saturday afternoon. Seton Hall certainly didn't feel bad for them the last 15 minutes of that game. Uh, nope. Providence at times showed some resilience in the second half, took the lead at a couple points. Uh, they were going back and forth with Seton Hall, but ultimately didn't have enough down the stretch. Uh, it was a decline that started midway through the first half when Seton Hall went to a 2-3 zone and Providence looked at it like it was the basketball version of hieroglyphics. Um, just could not solve it whatsoever. Right. Uh, you know, Josh Duro starts off. He's six for six. He goes three for his next 15 in the game. Uh, Devin Carter was four for 13, had 10 points. They turned him into a volume shooter. Wasn't his typical night. Um, and the guy who I think really is going to have to step forward now without Hopkins was Ticket Gaines, who was anonymous in that game. Um, you know, and I know there were, there were some schematic reasons that Kim got into uh, during the post game, you know, they weren't doubling a Duro and helping off ticket, giving him open threes. They, they didn't get a lot in transition. Uh, I understand that. Uh, but two points, one for three, two rebounds, no steals in 35 minutes. You're a fifth year player. They're going to need a lot more than that from him going forward, uh, even with a healthy Hopkins. Never mind without. Um, you know, so they've got. Some major questions to answer internally. They don't have a lot of time. There's not a lot of grace period here. You're at Creighton Saturday at 2 o'clock. You play four of your next five on the road. Uh, the schedule gets hard here in a hurry. You had a chance to start 3-0 and at home. It's the first time you'd played three Big East games at home to start the season. Um, you got the first two. As you said before we got on the pod, you've got some wins that will age well. Um, certainly Wisconsin Definitely. and Marquette, those will carry forward as you try to make another run to March here. But um, I would imagine the last two days have been really challenging for the staff, not only from an emotional standpoint in terms of making sure the rest of the players are okay and, and taking care of Bryce, but you know, trying to find some on-court solutions here. Absolutely. Um, that's that's the balance. Um, and <laughs> You just had a long break. And then all of a sudden, now you're jumping right into it. You're not going to have a break for a while here. From the Big East play, it's not going to slow down. So something like this happens. It's only a short amount of time. And so you got to figure it out fast. 
And so I think you probably take it step by step. I think I bet you yesterday they did do some work, I'm sure, on the floor. But I think I'm, I bet yesterday was a lot of, okay, process what's going on, um, absorb it, and then we continue on. I bet you today will be a, you know, big time, okay, let's really dive in here. We got we to gotta keep going, um, you know, not to lay out their schedule. But I'm just thinking mentally, you know, where do you go? you know, and, and how do you handle this? And so, you know, I'm sure that they're diving fully in on Creighton uh, and yeah, you got to find the answers and they're going to have to come from, from within. It's going to be younger plays. You mentioned ticket gains, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, so where do they, what does their starting five look like now? To me, it's, it's probably, I think the, the lineup that gave you a lot of energy spark help you play with some pace in that second half against Seton Hall was the lineup that had Corey Floyd Jr. on the floor. And that may be the first place that you say, okay, let's start Corey and, you know, let's see what that lineup can do, particularly to start a game. Can we move fast? Can you move with pace? You play a little bit smaller, but you move a little bit faster. And does that create some looks where I, I think that ideally you know, Kim wants to shoot more threes than they did the other night against Seton Hall. So playing with pace, can that open things up a little bit? Probably. So that's probably the first place I look is, okay, I think we probably start Corey and then go from there. But Corey's one guy that's really going to have an opportunity to step forward. And he's shown at times that he can make some really, really great plays. He caused that turnover that gave Providence the chance to tie the game late against Seton Hall. He was right there, made a great play help get the get the turnover and set them up with a chance so he's going to make plays like that they're really going to be able to to lean on him going forward but Corey Floyd and then Garway Duall I think is going to have a chance here as a young player to step forward um you know and you know what they do to increase his role we'll see um but he's another guy that I think of too if Floyd had 7.6 rebounds the other night Against Seton Hall, he played 12 of his 19 minutes in the second half. So I think you got a, a little bit of an early preview of what they think the lineup might look like on Saturday. Uh, Garway Duall you know, played a little bit in the first half, not as much in the second half. Uh, the other guy you look at for wing minutes is Rich Barron, obviously, who missed the Butler game. He had an allergic reaction. Uh, played a few minutes the other night against Seton Hall. Has flashed at times during games here through 14. Um Raphael Castro, maybe less so. If you want to go to a big lineup, you could play him aside of Duro, uh, slide a Duro to the four, take gains to the three, and and keep the two guards, Pierre and, and Carter. Um, yeah, but that's the interesting calculus of, of coaches. Do we want to play a bigger lineup, a smaller lineup? Do we want to play quicker? Do we want to play slower? Um, you know, are we going to be able to do the things that we want to do? Uh the things that we plan to do coming into the season, or do we make a major adjustment without Bryce? Um, defensively, how do we line up? Uh, yeah. You know, if we're, we're facing, you know, Kim has mentioned a few times this year that that they feel like Bryce's defensive efforts have, have been really good. Um, he's obviously a big body at 6'7". He can guard threes and fours. Uh, you know, could ticket gains guard a really physical four guy who's 6'8 and 240, let's say. We've seen Bryce do that. Um, can Gaines do it in the paint? Oh, no. We're about to find out, I think, on certain yeah. nights. Um, could Floyd guard a traditional 
NBA size shooting guard who's like six six playing on the wing. And he's given away he's given away a couple inches. Don't know. We'll see. Um, it's his chance here. He was a four-star recruit when he went to UConn. Uh, hasn't gotten the time here that that maybe some folks thought he might. Hasn't necessarily gotten the chance here that that some folks, you know, on the message boards and on social media thought he might. Here's your chance, Corey. You know, you're gonna have 18 games here. You know, 17 in the conference, plus at least one in the conference tournament, and then whatever postseason that comes after that. Here's your chance to carve something out. Um, like you said, off the top. Unfortunate incident like this, but it does create some opportunity for some other guys. Uh, so fascinating now. Also for for Kim and the staff. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, if you're George Mason and your best player gets hurt, arguably your best player gets hurt, you're in the Atlantic 10, you think, oh well. You know, it was nice while it lasted. We're not going to the NCAA tournament now. We might scrape into the NIT. That's not the floor at Providence. Nope. You weren't brought in here to go to the NIT or miss the postseason entirely. Um, you know, the fan base is is uh, as robust as it's ever been. You sold more season tickets this year than you ever have. Student season tickets are sold out. Um, you've still got some big home dates coming up. They won't want to hear after 12 games, you know, and Kim won't say this. No Kim way. won't say this, but they won't want to hear around the program, well, we don't have Bryce, the season's over. That That's not going to fly for those folks. They've done too much winning in recent years. They've become too accustomed to playing in March uh, to hear anything about one injury derailing them, no matter how significant it is. Uh, so I'm really interested to see the mood around Amica Mutual Pavilion the next time they're in there. Um, you know, I'm interested to see the the mood if they go to Creighton and get beat, which they would have been underdogs even with Bryce in the lineup. Um, yep. You know, so it, it is fascinating moving forward mentally and both physically on the court. Um, just what's going to happen here for Providence over the next couple months. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, you have too many good players um, in this program now, this is the kind of program that you have for things to go, you know, south um, because of a, a, you know, an injury. Um, you know, it's a it's a big one. Um, Bryce is a, a special player, but you have a lot of good players still in your program and on the floor. And those guys work too hard for them to say, "All right, well, it's you know, we're we're done. Season's over." No way, no way. Dev, Devin Carter, n- no way especially the way he's played this year you know he's this is his chance to be i think the guy the leader of this program and we've talked about devin and bryce devin and bryce you know i think as a pair but this is this is devin's chance and he has played to you know uh, an all-american level this year and so i expect that to to continue and i think emotionally he's a guy that'll show his emotions on the floor um this is a guy I think you're going to see more of that um, because I think he's going to be the emotional leader here going forward for this team. And there's so much experience on this team, too. A guy like Josh Aduro, you know, I know looking at that game the other night, he's probably looking at it and saying, gosh, like I started so well and then, you know, things happened. You know, the last couple of days he's been thinking like, I, I, I got to be better the next time out, especially with the challenge he has on Saturday with Brian Kalkbrenner. You think he wants to win that challenge? He's got some great challenges ahead that he's going to want to win. So, you know, this, these guys will be 
I, I, I know locked in and ready to go here, you know, for this stretch in the big East and, you know, their response is going to be a, you know, an interesting, fascinating story going forward. Um, particularly in a, in a league that is just so unforgiving. It, it really is. Um, it's tough, but Providence still has the talent to do it. They still have, that's where the, that's where the program is now is that they have a lot of talented players. So their goals remain the same. They want to get to where they want to get to. And, you know, again, the, the response will be the most interesting thing here on Saturday. How do they come out when they get on the floor again? At Creighton, at St. John's next week, old friend Rick Patino welcomes the Friars to Madison Square Garden. Xavier at home, at DePaul, at Seton Hall are your next five games. Um, you would look at those and, and you would have said, you know, with Bryce healthy, you went at St. John's, you beat Xavier at home, you went at DePaul, certainly, at minimum. Um, yep. You know, now, who knows? We'll see. We're all going to find out together. And and I think that includes players and coaches within Providence's program. We're we're all going to find out together. Uh, yep. This was such a durable guy. Played eighty two percent of minutes each of the last two seasons. Started all forty seven games he appeared in. Um, we saw him at the end of last year playing through a bulky ankle. You know, certainly fatigue after thirty three games. Um, you know, so big shoulders there, uh, big shoes to fill. And and certainly we'll we'll be fascinated to watch Providence and and see how they do it going forward here uh, through the rest of January into February and into March. Um, quite, we'll look at at uh, another headline from Wednesday night, and that was in Kingston, uh, a conference opener for the URI men. And uh, dare I say, this is a different version of the Rams than the team we saw through the first dozen games or so. St. Joe's came in here. Had a 13-point lead in the second half. Month ago, even two weeks ago, you think, well, the Rams are done. It's a nice night. Played relatively competitively in the first half, but this game's over. Not anymore. URI 78, St. Joe's 74. Louis Courtright with a New York City hesitation move into the lane and the floater. Uh, you could see that one on, on any playground and any pickup game. It, it was so fitting that... He was the one authoring that move and making that shot. Uh, and then two free throws at the end from Zeke Montgomery to ice it within the last second. Uh, the Rams, quite a different a different team with David Green now and David Fuchs back in the lineup as well. Uh, full roster for Archie Miller. Tough couple days for the G. Archie kind of forgot how to coach crowd. Jeez. <laughs> oh man. Wa bam. Wa boom. Wa bam. That a boy. Um <laughs> Wow, how do I top that? Uh I don't. Yeah, I I think it it is clear, you know, the impact. They had talked about what David Green can be for this program when he's on the floor. Um they had talked about around that program, what he had been in practice and how much of an impact and a vocal leader he had been even without being in uniform. Now that he's on the floor, you can see the impact that he has, you know, both, you know, in his minutes that he's playing and in terms of uplifting his team and being that sort of emotional 
leader and picking them up when they're down what they were down in the second half. So, you know, I, I think his impact, I think you have changed, you know, the outlook of, of what you or I can do here. Um, and, and I'm again, fascinated to see where they go. Now they start Atlantic 10 play one and all against a really good team and an NBA prospect and Reynolds like that is, that's a huge deal. That's a huge deal, and and good for these players for bouncing back from where they were a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know where they were in a five game losing streak, and you know losing they just it was snowballing on them. But depth is something they talked about too, and getting Fuchs back I think is no small thing. I think it definitely helps. You know they they needed that depth again. Um, he had obviously had an impact early in the season, so. Yeah, I, I think huge win for URI. I think uplifting for the fan base that you were just talking about. And uh yeah, it it was it was fun to see and and you know some of those things that Archie Miller has been looking for out of this team are are paying off. And and with this team too, this really is like it, it's really it's year two for for Archie and his staff, but it really is like year one. They have 11 new guys, so they're really sort of coming together, gelling together like a new team. So I think patience is probably key here, and you have patience, and look at that. It pays off, and, you know, a long way to go. You know, you want to see them, you know, finish higher than what they were expected in the Atlantic 10, but I think they expect that. Um, they believe that they can do that, and I, I believe they can do that, especially if they're going to pick up wins like they did on Wednesday. You know, I, I understand the frustrations uh, in the seats at the Ryan Center. I understand that they're disappointed losing to Brown two years in a row. It, it hasn't happened since the 70s. I, I get it. Uh, I understand that you shouldn't be losing to New Hampshire. I, I agree with that. Um, but you're eight or nine or ten games into year two of a rebuild. You know, that's not the time to cut bait and start over. You, you don't really evaluate these things until the third year, generally, because that's generally the year where teams make a jump. Uh, they do it in year three. You look at Dan Hurley, his first three years here, you know, the last coach to make the NCAA tournament. He goes eight and 21, 14 and 18, and then he's an NIT team. So you're looking at this and thinking, okay, you know, Archie Miller, can he get some program building blocks in for year two? Can he win a couple games that maybe he shouldn't? You know, can they maybe scare the middle of the pack in the A10? You know, outperform the expectations of finishing 14th, which. You and I both said during the preseason seemed unrealistic given their talent level. It felt like they'd do better than that. Um, and then in year three, can you hit the portal, make a real impact addition, an older player, add him to the current talent you have, and, and make some kind of move toward 20 wins and you know toward a postseason berth and toward the top five in the league? And a win like this against a team like St. Joe's, who lost in overtime at Kentucky, who thumped Villanova on the road, who beat Princeton, who was in the Sweet 16 last year, that puts you right back on track. Um, you know, And the way they did it, the fact that they're down 13 in the second half, that they got contributions from so many people on the roster, and that you now have a clear hierarchy on your roster. It's David Green as your leader and some other guys who are going to snap into more traditional roles now, maybe more comfortable roles now. That gives you a chance to do something going forward. All of that added up puts URI in a really good place as we sit here on this Friday morning. Yeah. And I think Archie was looking for that. You could, you could tell um, around the holidays, it was 
the talk was, okay, you know, who's going to be our leader? Who is going to be? And I think you're right. I think with with David Green now on the floor, I, I think he can be that that guy. He's got that he's got that that swagger to him. He's got that edge to him. You know, I think he's what did he say in the postgame press conference the other night? He said, you know, you guys all called us underdogs, whatever. And I'm like, well, I I don't know who said that, but whatever. <laughs> I don't care. I I don't care because that kind of edge is what this team needed. Absolutely. Is what they need. And, Absolutely. and that that's great. And, you know, hey, I, I didn't call them underdogs. I don't know if you call them underdogs. I don't know. What, but if he thinks fine. If, if if we're if if he wants to, to to go that way, fine. It certainly helped. It certainly helped. And yeah. you're right. It I I think it allows other guys that you know. I think David is is you know I probably vocal just ju- just based on the um you know the short interactions we've had with him so far. Um, he seems to be vocal. Other guys like to lead by example. Louis Louis Courtright seems to me like a guy, and I don't know. I'm I'm not in practice. Might be wrong. I'm not sure, but he seems to me like a guy that leads by example. Some guys, that's that's great, and that works. But sometimes I think sometimes you need a guy that's a little more vocal too. And so, like you said, are they settling into that now because the hierarchy now is in place? Probably, and I think we've seen that the last two games and. You know, it's it's clearly uplifting for the whole team too to have Green on the floor because they know what this guy can add to the team. And you know, when that happens, it it's you know, rising tide lifts all all boats, right? Like that's I think that's what's happened here, and I think that's significant for Rody going forward. Yeah, you look into the box score of that game. The the shooting still not that great, six for twenty five from three, but eighteen assists, ten turnovers. That will play. On just about any night, you, you had good balance on offense. Green had 16 and 10 off the bench. Jaden House had 15. Louis Courtright, 12, six rebounds, five assists, only one turnover. That's great. Out of your point guard. Fuchs had a double double, 13 and 10. You you know, Archie said uh, multiple times that he felt like Fuchs's best two games were against Brown and, and Providence, and then he misses three in the concussion protocol. He's come right back and played very well against Northeastern and, and now against St. Joe's. Um, and you look at the Hawks, Coit, and you know, I think the Hawks are picked fifth in the league. I had them a little higher than that. I think that's a reflection on Billy Lang and not on their talent. And you know, I'm not coming for Billy here. I'm I'm not uh, you know, this isn't we're we're not gonna turn this into a you know, let's fire Billy Lang podcast. Uh but St. Joe's, if you were going to have a pickup game, they'd probably have three or four guys picked before you or I had two. Reynolds has a chance to play in the NBA. Uh, and you or I put them sort of into their old familiar traps, like eight for 30 from three. You know, didn't necessarily get to the rim enough. Uh, you know, too many turn. Uh, I mean, not, you know, not enough assists. Assist turnover ratio wasn't very good. You know, didn't really move the ball that much. Um, it was, it was had the hallmarks of, of Archie Miller from Dayton in, in that game. You know, it was, it was, it was disciplined at both ends. It was fairly buttoned up. There were contributions from every guy who played. There were no passengers in the game. Um, 
And then you had execution at the end when you really needed it. Uh, I, I thought it was, it's really something that you or I can build on. And, and it's the style of game, the type of performance that we'll carry going forward. So two things. One, I was just kind of looking it up as you were talking. So in terms of preaching patience, you know, with a, with a rebuild, I think people 10 years ago, the transfer portal wasn't what it is now. So I think now coach like Archie comes in excitement, transfer portal, you get guys out of that, but you get, you're getting different guys out of the portal than say, you know, a, a power program, right? Because you're trying to build differently in the Atlantic 10. You know, you want guys that are going to have staying power. So you're trying to find the right guys in the transfer portal. So, you know, I think patience is is key there in a in an age in college basketball where you want immediacy, right? If, especially with a transfer portal. You can get great players and compete right away. You know, Rick Pitino, St. John's. That's what people, people are like, well, why can't you be like that? You know, right? So I think Archie's trying to build a program here. And so... You're right. I, I was looking it up. So the Nebraska win, I always go back to that with the Dan Hurley era because I still feel like that was a turning point in his tenure as the coach. I felt like that night at home, that team learned how to win in a big spot. That was year three, if I'm not mistaken. Early in Dan year three. As the coach. Correct. Early in year three. So patience. Now you're here in year two with Archie, and this is a this is a significant win especially to open conference play. This is significant. This is one you're going to look back at and say, this was important you know, as we're building up this program. And this is year two. So patience. Patience is, is key. The other thing I was going to bring up here. So who was the guy? Was it Pierre? I don't know if we talked about this off the pod. Was it Pierre at Dayton? Was the guy that kind of was sort of the do-it-all, that, that sort of leader that Archie leaned on. Dyshawn Pierre, am I correct in that? Dyshawn Pierre was part of it. Uh, Scoochie yeah. Smith was certainly part of it. Charles Cook was certainly part of it. Uh, Jordan Seibert was a transfer from Ohio State. It was a really good player for them. But Pierre um, always seemed to be that guy that like they leaned on for a lot of things, if I'm not mistaken. He had he had a great core there. We had Kendall Pollard was a terrific player for them. Pollard Kyle was a good Davis one too. was a really good defender for them. Um he had a, a really good core there, a two or three year run uh, after the Elite Eight team, where it was a you know a cast of nine or ten guys who, who sort of came in over the span of two or three years, and like I said before, no passengers. Like there, there was no, you know, wasn't a guy who played in empty eight minutes a night. There, there wasn't that. Every guy who got on the floor for Dayton in that era contributed in in some meaningful way. It just seemed green seems like one of those guys. Like he does a lot of things. He's he's a he, leader. He would have fit with that team a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's yeah. what I think of when I think of him. I'm like, this feels like that Dayton era, that kind of team, you know, because it was just like every time, you know, Hurley and the Rams played, you know, Archie Miller's Dayton team, you're like, gosh, Scoochie and Pierre and like all he's got and Pollard, like you just said, like, oh man, every guy could could hurt you, you know. And I think Green certainly fits that mold. And I think some of the other guys on this team can fit that mold. But now that they're all together, I think it molds better. And I think you saw that against St. Joe's, which is good. Yeah, just pulling together a bunch of talent and transfer portal, it doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna work right away. 
Yeah. Uh, consider three of the best basketball players on planet Earth at one time. LeBron James, Wayne Wade, Chris Bosh. Went 8-8 eight and eight in their first 16 games with the Miami Heat. That's half a college season. Those guys are pros. It's what they do. They were three top. You know, Wade at the time is the top 10 player. LeBron is, you know, the top player in the league. Bosh is probably a top 20 player at that time. At the worst, they were all playing for Team USA in the Olympics. And it didn't work right away. It was sour not, early. Not five. Yeah, not they, six. <laughs> not seven. Wound up being only two. two. Didn't only two, yeah. Two? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say two. Um, the one that got away, obviously, against the Mavs, which uh, LeBron still talks about to this day. The, Woof. the Dirk Nowitzki Mavs. Uh, that was a stunner. But it, those guys are pros. They're the best in the world at what they do, and they didn't have immediate success. And, you know, the, their talent level certainly higher than anyone on Rhode Island's team. Um, you know, so – I always go back to that when when I think, well, you know, we got these freshmen coming in and these guys in the portal and they're all great players and this is all going to work. And it's like, it doesn't work that way. It takes, takes a little time. time. Yep. You know? And even if here we are halfway through the season in terms of your entire schedule, but I think you or I was looking at this and saying, we're turning the page to the A-10 here. I think they were doing that late in their non-conference play. I think once they lost, the two games at Mohegan Sun and then at Providence, you have no at-large resume. It's all about the conference at that point. And yeah. you or I can move forward. Uh, they will play Davidson on Tuesday. That's a road game uh, down in North Carolina. Davidson, a nice record, 10-4. and four. If you look at what they've done so far, they had a good win against Maryland early in the year. Uh, tight loss to Clemson. And then the two other up games that they played, they got blown out at St. Mary's. It's really no shame there. Uh, and then against Dayton the other night at home, they lost by 13. So you figure you're playing the conference favorite at home in your first game. Uh, didn't necessarily show in that one. You know, sort of got handled by Dayton. Uh, you'll be hungry to to bounce back and not lose two in a row at home to start the season. So that would be a really good challenge for URI. Belcarina is a tough place to go. Um you know, I, one of my favorite places to go on the A10 road. I, I'm not making the trip, but um, you know, Charlotte. They're they're about 30 minutes north of of Charlotte proper. It's it's a beautiful campus. Uh, they treat you like family down there. Justin Parker works in sports information. It's one of the best guys you you meet. Uh, Danny nice. Griglio, who is a you know an, a, a student athlete at URI, softball player. And one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. And, and then Joey Beeler, who, who's just a classic, who, who runs their sports information department. Um, you know, Davidson's definitely a, a trip and a crew that, that I always look forward to. Um, you know, you or I, probably less so on the court because it is a challenge against that group anytime you go out there. Yeah. Well, and that's basketball area. You know, we, we experience it uh, a lot. Uh, we did with the NCAA tournament, of course, last year, Greensboro and, so that area, I mean, it is, it's so great for for college hoops. They love it down there. So not not totally surprising to hear that. And I'd I'd love to experience it at some point and go see um, Davidson, see some of these places that I've heard legend of, of course. Um, yeah. So it'd be interesting to see how Rody does on the road against, as you said, a hungry team. Um, but again, yeah, patience. It's it's fun to see this this group now sort of coming together, but. You know, I think that that patience needs to be um, continued here because, as you said, it doesn't happen right away. It just 
making the point again. I, I mentioned Rick Pitino and St. John's. That's why early in the season, people are like, well, it's Rick Pitino, so it's no problem, you know, whatever. I'm like, I, I don't know, man. Like, it's going to take some time here. Yeah. You know, and these are guys that talented guys that he brought into his program with, you know, Dingle and, you know, Ledlam, you know, a couple guys we saw in the Ivy League against Brown. But I'm like, you know, they've never they played in the Ivy League and they were good players and playing the Big East. So let's give it some time. I think you're seeing that with St. John. I think it's taken some time. So, yeah, patience. But for you or I, I think some of that patience is is paying off here. Now that David Green's out there and they're they're coming together, yeah. so it's it's exciting. It's exciting to see where they go from here because they're another great story right now in the state. For me, Coit uh, Saturday, I've got a women's doubleheader on tap. Uh, I will be starting with URI St. Bonaventure at one. I will finish with Providence St. John's at at six. And I think we should turn to those two programs now. Uh, the Rams women looking maybe like we expected them to uh, for maybe the first time this season. They've won four in a row. They've grinded out a couple tough conference games to start, uh, 63-58 at St. Louis, the defending A-10 tournament champions. And then the other night, 70-68 against George Mason at home, uh, a team that had a nice record to start the season. And, and Coit, I, I think you look at the URI women, and they had a couple stumbles early. Uh, certainly the home loss to Quinnipiac really stings. Uh, the road loss to Providence hurts, uh, considering that the Friars were shorthanded. In that game, URI had the lead and, and ultimately surrendered it. You you would have thought that they could have had a chance to take care of that one. Um, and there were some growing pains here, obviously. You're trying to integrate Dee Davis and, and Tisha Hyman in the lineup. And, uh, you know, you've got Tana Magasa in and out with a shoulder injury. You're, you're not necessarily certain what your front court's going to look like on a given night. And I think what we saw against George Mason the other night was there is a chance for this team to find an alpha in Sophie Phillips. Maybe not in attitude, maybe not in terms of, of her being vocal, but in terms of performance, a couple of things that she did down the stretch of this game, you're going to look at her as a teammate and say, okay, if we give the ball to Sophie in a key spot, she's going to do something with it. Absolute cold-blooded three-pointer inside the last 90 seconds, and then a steal on the inbounds pass in a 70-68 game. George Mason didn't get a shot off in the last seven seconds. Um, much more the team, I would expect that Tammy Reese thought she was going to coach coming into this year and the perfect start to conference play if you or I, not only the wins, but the fact that you're going to take a little extra out of those because of the way you won the two games. If you've ever been around Sophie Phillips or met Sophie, she's a very nice girl, nice person. Um, you know, just sort of, I don't want to say quiet, but you know, just sort of, or I think her tone is, it's not, she's not outward boy. When she gets on the floor and she plays the way she did the other night, that's pretty outward. Wouldn't you say like loud, that is loud. Game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it is, it's funny how different people can be when they're in the heat of battle. Um, and these athletes, when we cover them, it's, it's great. And for URI, if if she is going to be the the quote unquote alpha, that's a huge deal, and that I think, you know, for somebody that's been part of the program, she can be the 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 flag bearer. She's okay. This is how we're going to play. If I'm playing this way, and I've been in this program for the number of years I've been in this program, then everybody else is going to play that way, and we're going to do it every day. 
And I think that's huge for Tammy Reese and the coaching staff too. A staff that's been sort of looking for that consistency because we've seen flashes of how good this roadie team can be. We saw it on opening night. We've seen it at times during, I mean, you know, you take NC State, you know, down to what you did on the road. Like, you know, that those are significant moments where you're like, wow, this roadie team could be really good. Yeah. And then you have nights where, you know, you you don't look so good. And you know, you're not getting that effort that you're looking for. And, you know, Timmy has said, in, even in practice, we'll have practices where we're like, oh, boy, okay, this isn't good. Like, and and they want that consistent effort. Recently, I think they're starting to find that consistent effort. And that's huge, especially as you turn the calendar to conference play. They're grinding out some really tough wins here. And they're making winning plays. It's not, they didn't win against George Mason on some game-winning shot. They won because Sophie was rolling on the floor trying to grab the basketball like she was rolling down a hill in in Williamsport, Pennsylvania at the Little League World <laughs> Series on a piece of cardboard like that all over the place. Right. And and that kind of effort is what you need to win and win consistently. And like I said, if Sophie's going to show that, then I don't see how anybody else in the program can't show that too. And I, I think that's huge for the coaching staff. Yeah, she dives for a loose ball with about two seconds left. Uh, I saw her at the coach's show on Thursday night. She said she put a burn hole in her shirt, a uh, floor burn hole in her shirt. She's going to need a new one. <laughs> what? Uh, just hilarious. Wow. Uh, you know, but prior to that, you, you mentioned the the gritty plays, the effort plays. Her, her three-pointer to make it 68-64 comes off an offensive rebound by Inez DeBras, the smallest player on the floor. Um, you know, there's your point guard getting to the baseline, beating everyone to a loose ball, uh, kicking it out through an El Dutat to Sophie Phillips for a three. Uh, Tisha Hyman, big drive at the end, makes two clutch free throws with 7.7 seconds left. Uh, you know, that was a possession that, you know, I don't know if it was the smoothest offensively. She made something happen. She made something good out of it, drew contact, got to the line. She was aggressive in that way. It's what you want to see. You know, don't settle for a jump shot. In, in that situation, she didn't do it. That's the trap that you can fall into. Oh, I'm just going to pull up and dribble the clock out. She was trying to get to the rim. Terrific. It's exactly what they wanted to do. Um, Maya Torre is playing 25 minutes on a, on a gimpy ankle. She wasn't 100%, um, but still was able to grind it out a, a little bit out there. Uh, and so you're seeing a little bit of sacrifice now, too, from your eye. Players for players. And I think that's... Culturally, that's where you want to be, obviously, and and that's what Tammy was hoping to have. That's certainly what her last two teams have had, two teams that were in the WNIT. Um, and in this case, you looked at this group and you said, man, the talent level is very high here. Uh, it's a matter of whether or not they're going to play a certain way, execute a certain way, and we're starting to see signs of that here. We're starting to see signs of that, and – Something about conference play sometimes really snaps you in in terms of the focus, in terms of where you want to go. Now you're closer to trying to achieve the goals that you have for the season. Um, so, yeah, something about it this time of the year. And to start off the way they have is is really huge. And I think the way that these games have gone to, I think conference games, pacing-wise, 
they sort of slow down. It's possession by possession because you're in, you know, the competition is so great and not just for the URI women that this goes for every program we talk about. Like, it's just the, 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 the games are so important. They matter so much more. They're always tight. They're always close. You don't see, I mean, on a given night, you'll get a blowout or something like that. But even then it's just, it's a grind. This is the grind. And to see Rody sort of really snap into that mode of we really need to focus in every day, I think is a, it's just a great sign for a coaching staff and a team that was really searching for that early on in the season. You could just you could tell how frustrated Tammy was because she's like, man, this team is so good. I want it to get to its potential. We want to get the most out of this team. We want to reach those goals that we have. But we're just not doing it every day like some of the teams have in the past, you know, and now you're starting to see it. And maybe it's just, again, maybe it's just because they're in conference play. Sometimes that does that. Interesting schedule coming up. St. Bonaventure rebuilding first year under Jim Crowley, former Providence coach who, who is back with the Bounties. You uh, arrive will be a significant favorite in that game at Loyola Chicago, um, which is another game that they should win, will be favored to win. And then the schedule really ramps up. Uh, next weekend, you are at Richmond. That's a quadrant one road game. Will be a real challenge for them. Fordham at home, and then St. Joe's at home. Uh, St. Joe's right now thirteen and one, uh, looking like the league favorite you or I was expected to be. Um, you know, and so certainly that will be a great test on a Sunday in Kingston. Uh, that's a date that they will have circled, but need to take care of business between now and then. Certainly, uh, St. Bonaventure, Loyola. Fordham, all games you need to win. If you want to make a conference title challenge, Richmond, you go on the road, you take your chances. St. Joe's comes in here, you take your chances. Those are the coin flip type games that determine whether or not you can actually win the league. But you need to put yourself in position to do it first. St. Bonaventure is a game that you just need to go out, take care of them. You have some players like Torre who, who are guarding minor injuries. Maybe get their minutes down a little bit. You know, get a nice lead in the second, third quarter. Maybe she can play 15, 20 minutes, get a little extra treatment. You know, be a little fresher for Loyola and, and for Richmond. Um, you know, so that's the challenge for URI, I think, going into Saturday. Um, you know, just be disciplined. Just take care of what you're supposed to. Uh, it's what they've done really well over the last two seasons. That's how you maintain a conference title challenge. And, you know, I think going forward, that that's a place mentally where they can approach now based off the last three or four games uh providence that night against st john's coit I, I will be the first to admit i don't know how the friars are doing this if you look at their bench and you see who's in sweatsuits <laughs> during the game uh it is really impressive how they are able to find success while being so shorthanded um you know i'm really encouraged by what I saw the other day against DePaul, uh, it was a Project Providence Day. A lot of school kids in attendance. The earplugs were in, Coit. Uh, yeah, my ears are still ringing. Woof. When they throw oh, that baby. noise meter up there on the scoreboard at Alumni Hall, yikes. The, <laughs> the, the shrieking is just off the charts. Uh, the shrieking. The, the noise. Oh, it's incredible. Uh, but, uh, I, <laughs> when, when Ian came back from the roadie game, that was kids day. Oh yeah, he, he had Tammy got the crowd going. I I thought I was watching Jurassic Park from 1994 again. Just the noise, the collective noise that I heard. The, it was yeah, like, oh my goodness. The, but I yeah, it was it was. I I will say this though. 
it is awesome that they do this. Oh, All absolutely. These oh, yeah. Awesome. These crowds are incredible. Incredible. These kids root these teams on the Bryant men did it right before Christmas. Like, it, it's just, it is awesome. Just bring earplugs if you're going to be there the whole time. But my, minor <laughs> inconvenience that our ears hurt and, and ring and, and that we have headaches after this. Minor inconvenience. Great for the kids, especially the women's game. Great for all the little girls to to see possibility out there, to, to see what they can be. You know, Tammy and, and Aaron and, you know, actually all the coaches in our area, Lynn Ann Kukowski at, at Bryant and, and Monique LeBlanc at Brown, they've, they've all talked about watching women's basketball growing up and, you know, how that gave them a chance, a sense of possibility. And, hey, I can be that person on the floor someday, you know, and your parents and and your coaches are telling you that and, and you see it in real time and it's like, oh, wow, you know, okay, that that could be me someday. And, you know, Providence, in, in this case, you're watching winning basketball at this point. Uh, the Friars have won five of the last seven, despite, you know, being without their starting backcourt at the beginning of the year. Kylie Shepard and Grace Foza still not playing. The Friars still outlast DePaul, 72-65 at home. They've lost 23 in a row to the Blue Demons. Their previous game at Seton Hall, their Big East Conference opener, they hadn't won at Seton Hall in over a decade. Managed to win that game as well. Um, so if you want evidence of the Aaron Bath effect, how she's changed things here, how hard they play for her, um, how they refuse to make excuses for who they're missing, um, how they sort of just shake off their deficiencies. You know, in this game against DePaul the other day, they had 25 turnovers. That's been a problem all year. They they throw the ball away for fun. Um, but they don't get deflated by it. You know, somehow no. they just continue to soldier on. They keep defending, which is the most important thing. It's the way they've won all these games. Bingo. Uh, and the other day they got some shots to fall. Uh, you know, so I was I was very impressed by what I saw. And and it was less about the product on the floor than it was about the, the mood, uh, you know, the sort of tone on that bench, the, the mentality that was almost tangible that you could see, you know, 15 games here in, into Aaron's first season. I, I think it's really encouraging times in, in the women's program at Providence right now. I think it's clear that Aaron and her coaching staff have reached and you can see it in the way they play on the defensive end that defending will keep them in games. You can see it. It's clear. Like he, turnovers, offensive end, they will find offense. Uh, Olivia Olson will get you points. It will happen. Takes time, whatever. But on the defensive end, they are playing well, and it's keeping them in games, period. That's what's happening. And... I think you're having some emergence here with, you know, players that have had to step. I, I think Olivia has been consistently good. Um, she's your best player. You can lean on her. She's setting the tone, particularly on the defensive end. I can't get out of my head the block she had with 13 seconds to go against URI and that victory. Mm. That was one of the plays, I think, of the season so far for them, especially in non-conference play. Um, you know, but defensively they're setting the tone and then offensively they will find the points and i think i think marta morales romero has emerged here the last couple weeks too i think she's gotten comfortable in this program she was on the big east honor roll last week i think she had a good game you know in project providence and that win against DePaul. um you know so she's clearly emerged here with more time responsibility on her shoulders she's had to 
And maybe sometimes with the team, Bill, you, you have so many injuries, you have so much adversity, that maybe it's just uh, you play freer. You're just like, you know what? <laughs> We've had so much go on. Like, we got to go out there and play. So let's just play and see what happens. There's no, you're not thinking about things. You're just going out and playing and bought in. Something goes wrong. I mean, enough's gone wrong <laughs> with with injuries mm. and, and players not being out here. So just keep going. We got to play. And I think sometimes that just makes you a little bit freer in terms of thinking out there. And I think you're I think you're seeing that. Nothing really, as you said, deflates them. And now they're off to the first two and start in Biggie's play for this program since 1999-2000. Whoa. Whoa. That's huge. That's huge. Where was Nick Coit in 1999-2000? <laughs> I think I had just bought the Now That's What I Call Music Volume 3 CD, maybe, or something like that. Or It's only Volume 3 at that point, huh? Yeah. Uh, who knows? I, I, I don't know. which. I think it was still in the single digits. I'll put it that way. Um 1999 2000 what movies came out around then not sure my red sox fandom had had just uh just really started to reach its peak 1999 oh, postseason good, good time for it alcs um you know they were breaking my hat back then as they continue to break my hat these days oh don't sox. don't don't do it coy we won't go there. We won't go there. But that's that's where I was. No, that's where I was. I think. But that's that's how long it's been. So kudos to Aaron and her staff because uh, they've certainly changed the culture. And Lauren Edwards was an infant, and Olivia Olson was born three years later. Uh, <laughs> so that gives you an idea of of what was going on then. Uh, you mentioned the defense, Coit. Thirty six percent for DePaul the other day. Eight for twenty five from three. Uh, Providence didn't necessarily force a ton of turnovers. They just guarded the. Straight up guarded them, made life difficult for them, forced a bunch of contested looks, um, got enough at the offensive end. You know, Olsen in the second half was terrific, 14 over 19 points, eight rebounds in the game. Morales Romero played all 40 minutes, had a double-double, 12 and 10, uh, five assists, which led the team, sort of functioned as a point guard at times to help Edwards out a little bit in the backcourt. Um you know, and they saw the ball go through the net early, which I think built a lot of confidence in that game. Um, they were over 60% from the field deep into the third quarter, seven for 12 from three. Um, you get late into this one, and Bryn Farrell makes a clutch three with about two minutes left that was a real dagger. Um, it's nice when you get a little bonus offense from the perimeter, like they did. Uh, you know, shot the ball very well. The, you only wonder if if they've gotten more looks at the basket and and not thrown it away so much. This could have been comfortable. And and honestly, they led from the second quarter on. DePaul made a couple pushes at times, but you know Providence played with with confidence. They played with certainty. Um, in a way, it, it looked like they were. They've gotten over what happened against Kennesaw State uh, in West Palm over the holiday, which was a collapse in the fourth quarter, uh, a game that if they played right now, again, you, you'd probably think that they would win. Um, and sometimes you need those, I guess, in the non-conference. You, you need those painful learning experiences because the other day they closed it out reasonably well. There, there was some wobbling. DePa DePaul's pressing them. They're turning it over a little bit, but they did enough down the stretch. You know, They made a couple shots. They made a couple free throws. It, it was enough. It yeah. was enough to get it done. And, you know, you consider 
in this recent stretch, like I said, you're five and two in your last seven. Three of those are top hundred wins, according to the net. Um, you know, so not exactly beating bums out here. You're beating Rhode Island. Seton Hall on the road's a top 50 win. DePaul's a top 100 win at home. Um, future is bright here. Yeah. Yeah. Culture's changed. Culture's changed instantly. Instantly. There's a buy-in. And, I mean, you can't be surprised with it being sort of steady, you know, in terms of the culture being set, because look at the energy that Aaron brings to life as a person. <laughs> she's right. just a bright light like it's not surprised ah uh, honey ah uh, honey like it's that's her you know and you love that you love that kind of energy that's what this program needed and it's invigorated them it's invigorated the players and i think you're you're seeing the results and i think that energy shows up on the defensive end as you said um stats may not show it but they're they're guarding and that's if you if you if you start there, you'll you'll be fine. You will find offense. It will come along. And if they get some of these these players that have haven't been able to play that have been hurt back, you know they're just going to continue to get better. So exciting stuff for Brown and and for Bryant. Uh, teams are starting conference play here. The Bryant women kicked it off Thursday night against Albany, a loss on the road. Uh, the Great Dades are really good. Coy twelve and two. Um, yep. They have they have Lily Phillips at shooting guard, uh, twin sister of Sophie Phillips, the URI star. They also have Megan Herter coming off the bench, Providence transfer. Um, that's a good team. Uh, I can't remember if they were picked to win America. Oh no, Vermont was picked to win America East. Uh, Correct. Albany was somewhere. <laughs> we've in been we've game. been over that, Bill. <laughs> yeah, we've been over that a couple times on the pod. Uh, Albany was somewhere in there with Maine. Uh, among the favorites, the Great Danes have had a good program for a long time. That was a really tough assignment for Bryant to start the year. Uh, Mia Mancini, your only player in double figures with 17 points. Um, Bryant hosting UMBC on Saturday. That's 2 o'clock start at the Chase. Uh, Coit, just looking at the Bryant women, they finish the non-conference over 500. Um, you know, they're in a spot where they've done a fair bit of winning here early. Um, you turn the page to America East, they're not necessarily expected to contend at or near the top of the league. Uh, it's a good chance to to sneak up on some people. If if you're Lynn and Kikoski, if if you think on a given night you've got a team in your gym and you make some shots and you play the way you think you can play, you you've got a chance to win some games here. Um, but I think the other night is is a bit of a reminder that yes, we are at the start of something here. We're we're not in year three or year four. Uh, where she's going to have more answers on the court. Um, and when you play a road game against an Albany, a Vermont, a, a Maine, you know, there could be some times where it does go a little sideways and, and there's going to be some painful learning there. Um, and you just need to regroup and, and try to move forward. Yeah, but, you know, you want your, your young players to play well, get the experience in the conference here, um, have their moments. Like you said, home gym, close game on a night. Somebody makes a big shot. Somebody makes a big play. You get a victory. You build on it. See what you can do. You know, they lose to Albany, but Mia Mancini again plays well. You know, it, and again, it just shows you the, you know, the brightness to the future with a young player like that continuing to play well, learning as she goes. So, you know, just take your take your punches, take your swings in the league, see what you can do. But, you know, you love the energy around that program too, you know, even with 
you know, some of the stiff competition they're going to face here going forward. Aside from those top three, Albany, Vermont, and, and Maine, uh, if you look at the net in the America East, there, there's a big drop-off to the remaining six teams from those top three. Um, so there's going to be plenty of opportunities here for, for Bryant to win games. You know, you're looking at EM, UMBC against Division One opponents. They're just three and eight. You, you would think that Bryant's going to be favored in that game at the chase. Um, you, know, you would think that, that Bryant going forward from there, uh, they're at Binghamton. That's another game they'd have a chance to win on the road. Um, you know, and then they host New Hampshire uh, early next week, another game that they're going to have a chance to win. So there's opportunity there for, for Bryant to, to start to build some steam. I just think they had a really tough assignment out of the gate. I, I, I yeah. wonder, I wonder if, if you gave Lynn Ann some truth serum, if she'd rather play a contender the first game with a chance to surprise them, or maybe they hadn't necessarily had as much video on you as, as they could. Uh, or if you'd rather play a game against a team that you had a really good feeling that you could beat um, and then maybe play the contenders later on when they're more prepared. I, I don't know. I, I wonder about that. You you saw in the URI game, certainly against St. Joe's with the URI men, first conference road game, you know, team that's that's nicely positioned for the NCAA tournament, and URI sort of ambushes them with a player who's in the lineup for the second time. St. Joe's might not have had – you know, full preparation for a David Green URI lineup. Um, so I, I wonder I wonder about that. I always wonder about the mentality of coaches on that. I, I know they have differing feelings on it. You could probably go either way. You know, maybe you warm yourself into stiffer competition later um, if you play a team that's maybe in a similar spot th- than you. Or you get a reminder. Like, okay, this is the league we're going to be playing in. This is gonna, what it's going to be like. So get ready for it. Um you know, especially when you start on the road at Albany too, that's, that's difficult. It's difficult. Um, but yeah, I guess you could make an, an argument either way, either way, they're going to be facing stiff competition. So they'll, you know, they'll learn from it either way. The Bryant man uh, we should give them a medal. They've survived their non-conference schedule. Uh, and, and somehow they've done it over 500, which, you know, I know they played a couple Don D ones. I, I get it, but, you know, for Bryant to be eight and seven at this point, um, I, I remember, you know, early early season on the pod, what were we giving them? Five, maybe six wins at the most. Yeah. yeah. And that wasn't a reflection on them. It was a reflection on the teams that they're going to play. Um, you know, they lost Ole Miss on New Year's Eve, 95-78. That, that's a game that you're going to want to throw in the trash. You didn't really – defend all that well I, I guess the best thing you could say about it is everybody got through healthy um oh no the best thing you could say about it is earl timberlake got to play in front of his favorite actor morgan freeman sitting courtside that's a good that's point. The best thing yeah that's a good point. yeah, <laughs> yeah. whatever, whatever read from shawshanks in the house like you know it's uh it's big time timberlake takes the shots and <laughs> I'm not going to try to do my Morgan Freeman. It's not a good one. I mean, he is, you know, an, an outstanding, an American classic Morgan Freeman. Certainly. Um, you look at his IMDb. It's just crazy. Like the mm-hmm. things that he's been in just incredible. Um, but you look at Bryant and, and what they've done so far, you know, they're in a close game at Rutgers. They lose it at the end. They win at Florida Atlantic, which is just tremendous. You know, one of the best wins in program history. Um, you know, they win a tough game at Brown, 
they played at Cincinnati. They won in double overtime against Towson on a neutral floor. They beat Drexel, who had beaten Villanova. Uh, Drexel's a top 120 team in, in Ken Palm. So, you know, Bryant certainly has been tested. Uh, they're favored against UMBC. Uh, Ken Palm says they should win by eight. What do the computers know? What do we know? Nothing. We admit it. We know nothing. Um, we know nothing. But I would think that, that Phil Martelli Jr. knows something about his team. I think he's learned something about them through 15 games. I think they have a really good idea of who they are. Uh, you know, as we've said before, They've got a pretty defined lineup. They've got really good role definition on that team. I think they are in a position where they could make a nice run of it here in America East. And, and that starts with winning a game they should win uh, in Baltimore on Saturday. Yeah, I, I think as we've talked about over and over again with this team, I think they know what each guy can bring to the rotation. I think they established that early in the season. I think it helped them in the non-conference. And I think now that you're going into conference play, you know what each guy can do. And you know what it's going to look like in terms of, okay, how we're going to attack every night. So I, I think that only helps you when you're going into, you know, a tough league. It's it's a league that has some teams that have have risen here too. It's, it's you know, I think UNH has has shown obviously with Daniels there it, you know they're they're a team that's going to be really tough to beat on a given night um I think Maine is on the rise with Markwood as coach um I think it's energized that program's brought a I think a youth youthfulness to that program new style um you know and not to mention Vermont and UMass Lowell teams that you know obviously competed last year are competing again this year and I always say with this league right now, it's it's for months to lose. They they just they have owned the league every year. Um, but you look at Bryant, you look at their team, you look at their roster, you look at the guys that you have and the way that they have played. You have two of the six players that were named to the preseason All America East team in Gross Bullock and Timberlake. You feel pretty good about having those guys. And then everybody else that has played well behind them, Pinzone, Rivera, guys like that, you feel good about what you're going to be able to do in the league every night, particularly as we've talked about with Timberlake. And, you know, guy has a triple-double before Christmas. Um, you know, consistently he's played really well in all areas. Um, they're going to compete in this league. They're going to compete in this league. And I wouldn't be, wouldn't be shocked if we see them at the end you know, competing for the league title and a, and a berth, you know, in March. You mentioned Vermont quite. We saw them in the state recently against Brown. Uh, the Bears men finished up their non-conference schedule uh, with a 71-70 loss against Catamounts at home. That was game quite that, you know, honestly, it looked like Brown was going to have a very nice springboard into Ivy League play. They're up by 17 in the first half. And, and then, as has become all too familiar in the first couple months of the year, uh, just couldn't finish. And, you know, I, I, for various reasons, you know, over their first 15 games or so, it hasn't just been one thing. Uh, and I, I think that's probably the most concerning thing. If, if you look at Brown, it hasn't been, you know, just turnovers or just rebounding or just three point shooting or just foul shooting. Different things have bitten them at different times. And this would have been a game where you get a home win against a good team. Uh, you'd had a really nice comeback against Siena at home um you know that was another game that you could take in something really positive out of um 
and the other day you, you just you fall flat in the second half that's your lingering emotion you know going into your conference opener against Yale at home it, it's a very different mood than than you might have had otherwise and and so I wonder about Brown going forward they're picked fourth in the league certainly think that that there's a, a talent level there um certainly think that they could play better it is possible that they could play better they are healthy um you know they still do have the the players that you would have had faith in but I can't imagine that this was a trip through the non-conference schedule that that they might have expected to take no definitely not but there's still a belief there um Mike Martin has said as much he likes the way that his you know team works he likes the spots that his team has been in um even giving up that lead the other night you know I I think there was Mike walked into the postgame press conference and he kind of had that he had a smile on his face but it wasn't like you know happy smile it was one of those like shake my head uh, you know SMH Oh boy, this happened again. We were in another close game and we weren't able to get a shot to drop at the end. It's just frustrating because he feels like they the team is working hard enough where that's going to happen at some point. And, you know, after that, I saw Nana Wusuanane on social media say, I can't wait to figure this out with my brothers. So there's clearly a belief there that these guys feel like they're close. Mike said that outwardly. They feel like they're close. Um, you know, until that happens, it's disappointing, you know, the, the, some of the results that they're getting, um, cause they did get a few good looks down the stretch, you know, with Vermont and they did defend well. I mean, TJ long hits that three that ends up being the game winner with one on the shot clock. It wasn't like he got an, an open three and a bad defensive possession, whatever, put a shot up. It went down, it went down for Vermont. It didn't go down for Brown. You know, Keno Lilly had a look, you know, Nana had a a look right at the right at the rim, right at the basket to end the game. Like they're that close. So can they break through an Ivy League play? Now's the time that they want it to happen. Um, you start with Yale, a very good team, a tremendous coach in James Jones, who, yeah. as we always say, how the heck is he still at Yale? Because <laughs> he's so darn good by choice. Um, clearly, at this yeah, right. point, because clearly, clearly, there, there's no um, way people haven't called him the last few. Absolutely. Often. Absolutely. Guys, just a tremendous coach. Um, you know, so that's what you're starting with an Ivy League play. But, you know, Brown has been in a lot of close games. They are battle tested. They've been in those scenarios. They've seen it. Can they break through? Can those bounces sort of go their way? It did against Siena before the holiday. Um, can they get it, you know, to go more in, in Ivy League play? We'll see. But, you know, can if they can learn from those experiences, if those shots can drop for them in Ivy League play, then they can get to where they wanted to get to and get to Ivy Madness. And, you know, clearly the grind here and some of the disappointment they've had in the non-conference could pay off. Amazing. Just a few points, how, how much they would make a difference, you know, over the last couple of games. Um, you know, you, you're, you're in a spot where uh, you win at URI. It's a tight game. You beat them for the second straight year. You, you're feeling really good coming out of that. You lose at Providence in the renewal of that rivalry. It's it's difficult, obviously, but um, you know you're you're in a spot where you don't necessarily play that well in the first half, and, and you're in trouble there. Uh, but then you you beat Siena. It's a great comeback against Siena. You you think, wow, okay. Lose on the road at Stony Brook in a really tight game. 
you lose a road game, that's okay. You know, even even if you felt like you you probably had chances to win it, um, you know, you still you're not necessarily going to feel too bad about that. Um, but then Vermont at home, you would have wanted to take care of that one at home. You you would have felt like you could have got that one. Uh, you know, especially with the way you started. So perspective being what it is, you know, coaching staffs being even keeled as they are and not reactionary like like we tend to be at, at times. Um, you wonder if if they see it as more glass half full than than we would. Um, you know, and I, I certainly think that'll probably be the case. Um, and they're not really gonna have a choice because you you come right out against Yale, who was the preseason league favorite, regardless of how the Bulldogs have performed up to now. Um, you know, you're looking at Yale and you're thinking this is going to be a really tough challenge. It is every year when Brown plays them to open the season. Uh, then they go to Harvard, which, you know, is another game that, that's going to be really difficult. Harvard has one of the best young players in the league and Miles Mack, uh, terrific freshman guard, a uh, really good player. And then Cornell at home. Um, you know, Cornell is a team that's in the top 120 right now, according to Ken Palm. Um, you don't really have a quote-unquote breather until you go to Dartmouth, and and that's your last game of January. So, you know, looking at Brown, you you just you got to kind of get right here, and and you got to kind of take one of these chances here at, at some point. And, and I think, you know, ultimately you, you might be able to get there in in a certain game. You know, why not Yale? Why not start it off right there? Um, you know, I'm curious to see what their response is going to be in that one. Um, you know, that's January 9th. That's Tuesday night, seven o'clock. Uh, I will be at that one. Uh, schedule permits because URI is going to be at Davidson that night. And, and I'm not necessarily certain I'm going to be making the trip to, to Charlotte. Um, you know, but I'm looking at, at, at Brown playing Yale in that game. Um, you know, Yale close to the top hundred in Ken Palm. One at Santa Clara, one in overtime against Howard, a team that we've seen. They've actually won four of their last five. They they had a stunning loss at home against Fairfield, which you know should not have happened. You you would not have expected that out of a James Jones team. Uh, but going on a nice little run since then. Their only loss was at Kansas, and that was a game that they were competitive in for a little bit. So, you know, Brown with a good test coming into Ivy League play. Uh, the Brown women. Also starting Ivy League play, uh, ended a 21-day layoff uh, with two games on the West Coast against San Diego and San Francisco. Uh, the Brown women had a nice long winning streak going. They beat San Diego. They lost San Francisco. That snapped that winning streak. They will play at Dartmouth and an old friend Linda Semino to start Ivy League play. That's on Saturday. Uh, quite the Brown women, if you look at the net rankings right now, the Brown women are fourth in the Ivy League. They are in position here. Um, you know, and it's really interesting. If you look at Harvard and the injury to Harmony Turner, who's obviously a really important player for them, she's not going to play again the rest of the season. Um, do the Crimson take a step back? Does that give Brown maybe even more latitude to try and make a run at that four spot? Uh, the Bears, maybe a little bit ahead of schedule under Monique LeBlanc. Maybe you looked at this and thought, oh, maybe next year. How about right now? Why not? <laughs> Why not? And some of the teams that they played, some of the wins that they've picked up. Um, yeah. Why not? I think you're, you've got a collective buy-in as we've, we've talked about with this team. 
Um, you know, defensively, they're a grind to play against. Um, you know, we've seen that pretty clearly with this Brown team. Um, they have Kyla Jones who can score for them, but they've got other players that are growing, stepping forward. Um, yeah, why not in this league where, you know, you know, Princeton's good, you know, Columbia's good. Um, but then, you know, if, you know, if, if Harvard is struggling to get to that top four, um, you know, they do, you know, suffer a major injury, then okay, you know, where does the, the rest of the league fall in? And, you know, some of those wins that Brown had in the non-conference, you know, were really impressive. Even the game against URI that they dropped at home, that was not an easy game for the Rams. Uh, they grinded that out. It, it was, they are a tough team, and you're seeing that. And so, yeah, you get into the league schedule, I'm fascinated. Can they make the top four? I think the way that they've played, yeah. Absolutely, they can. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, fascinated to see the continued growth of some of their players. You know, I think right around the holidays, Alyssa Moreland was was really starting to, you could sort of, sort of see that jump. Um, you know, I, I think, yeah, that they are certainly one to watch here in the Ivy League for sure. What it basically boils down to is, is Princeton and Columbia are probably going to play in their own league going forward. Like it's, it's going to be a, a two team race. For the title, most likely on paper, the way you look at it right now. Um, and both of those teams, if, if they win enough, could be playing for at-large bids in the NCAA tournament. Um, Harvard, you wonder how they'll survive without Turner. I know they lost at URI. I saw them the other night. They're a decent team. Um, you know, but I wouldn't say that that they're world beaters by by any imagination. Uh, can you separate yourselves then from the rest? Penn, Cornell, Dartmouth, Yale. You finish above those four, you're in the Ivy League tournament. It, it's really that simple. Um, you know, so Princeton and Columbia, can you steal one or, or two out of your four games there? Can you win your home games against the two of them? You know, can you find a way to steal one out of the four? Harvard, can you split? Can you sweep them, you know, potentially? Um, you know, can you get greedy against the Crimson? If maybe you knock them off at home, try to beat them on the road as well. Um you know, the rest of these teams, you got to beat them at home and you got to win half the games on the road. You know, I think eight and six could get it done. I think nine and five certainly would get it done uh, and would get you into the Ivy Madness tournament and would get you a place at Columbia um, as we get into March. And, you know, for Brown, I, maybe it's time we reset the calculus here. They're picked sixth in the league. They've outperformed that so far. I think they've got the talent level where they could play beyond that going forward. I agree. I absolutely agree. And again, there's there's different players that on given nights you feel like, okay, you know, they are stepping forward. They're showing that growth. Um, you know, I think we saw it early on in Grace Arnley's career that she would show some of those flashes. She's showing that again, you know, like I, I mentioned Moreland. You know, if there's a night where Bella Mauricio is going off from the perimeter, those nights happen to like there's just there's a, you know, there's a collectiveness to this team. And, uh, you know, and again, not to mention Kyla Jones, who, you know, every night is going to score as much as she can score for you. She's going to be a problem for other teams in the Ivy League. So, yeah, I, I think. But again, it comes down to defense. We talked about defense with Providence. We talk about it with this Brown team, too. You know, they're just they're tough they're gritty they just 
you know, if I'm in the Ivy League, I look at I look at Brown right now and the way that they played in the non-conference. You know, when you look at them on tape, you're just like, oh God, we have to play Brown tonight. If I'm another team in the Ivy League, that's what I that's the way I'm looking. And that's hey, that's if I'm Brown, I'm brazen that. It's like, yeah, okay, you're coming into our gym, you're coming into the pits, or yeah, we're coming into your gym. This ain't gonna be easy. So get ready. And that's a tribute to uh, I, I think what what Monique and her staff have built so far. And so Brown women at Dartmouth. Um, and then you look at next weekend, they're at Yale. Uh, very front-loaded road schedule here for the Brown women. Um, a lot of their road games are, are early. Uh, if they can weather that through the first half of those 14 in the Ivy League, if they can be somewhere near 500 through those first seven, uh, the schedule will turn on the back half. They'll have chance. They'll have chances to play home games at the Pistola Center uh, with a birth and Ivy Madness on the line. That's that's the best case scenario as we get into February and March, and and I think that'd be a lot of fun to watch that down the stretch if if the Brown women are right there and and contending. I know, you know, the last couple of years we've seen the Brown men certainly last year against Yale, last game of the regular season at home, win and you're in, lose and you're out. The atmosphere at the pits that night was, was terrific. Um, you know, I'd love to see something similar for a women's game here as we get into February. And and it's on the Bears now. As they turn into conference play, they have a chance. They have every opportunity. They've got enough, I think, in their uniform to try and scare uh, a first Ivy Madness birth uh, in program history. So I think that'll be fun to watch. Uh, Coit, you got anything else? No, I'm good. As uh, you figured out, my computer battery's getting low. So perfect timing. <laughs> it's signed off there. People don't see how the sausage is made sometimes. I got disconnected there for a second, so I had to scramble. But Billy, quite, you endured. I think it was quite obvious that I was filling being a rambling fool <laughs> while Coit was setting up technically on the other side. I, I think, yeah. uh, you know, for anyone who listened to about that, five-minute soliloquy I gave there on the pod. <laughs> I, I apologize to everyone for that. No, I apologize. I didn't know my computer was going to shut down when it said it still had 15%. Love that. I didn't even get a warning. I'm supposed Love to that. say, like, look, your battery is low. Like, hello? Let me know. Then I'll plug it in. That's right. Yikes. That's right. Modern technology. Gotta love it. Mm-hmm. Gotta love it. Might uh, need a new computer. Might be time. Oh, good. Excellent. Mm. Excellent. Uh, what's on the dance card this weekend, Coit? Uh, what games are you hitting? Uh, what am I doing this weekend? Uh, well, honestly, Bill, this weekend, I think I am shifting at least for a couple days into, uh, Foxborough watch. Mm-hmm. Um, Sunday is the big game we'll be covering, of course, with the Patriots and Jets, but really the game is not that big and it's not that important. Oh. It's what's surrounding the game that's important. Um, and so, you know, as we continue our, college basketball following um it will also have our eyes on foxborough and what happens there it'll be fascinating to see what the future of the patriots looks like at the uh head coaching position yeah, good luck to everyone who makes a trip to foxborough this weekend uh you know good luck to everyone in the snow you know hope hope you all make out okay enjoy it um you know, get the bread and milk and provisions in the house friday saturday uh don't wait for sunday to do it um, we'll get a, a remote school day on Monday, perhaps, uh, perhaps. for some folks, uh, 
Yeah, Coit, I'm I'm thinking about going to Foxborough on Sunday as well. I I'm, I'm there. You go. I'm doing the mental calculus about when I might have to leave Warwick because uh, that could be a long commute trying to get up there. Uh, well, it sounds like no, I'm not the meteorologist myself, but it sounds like the worst of the storm will be probably pushed back into Saturday night and then early Sunday morning. So give yourself extra time to clean off the car, dust off dig yourself out, you know, with however much you get, which may not, you know, we'll see where you're in Warwick. It's, it doesn't sound like it's going to be as bad as my corner here of the state with North Smithfield going North. I think that's going to be the worst of it. So yeah. as you drive, give yourself extra time. Cause it sounds like Foxborough is going to be right in that, uh, that big zone when it comes to the snow. Rusty Foxborough. Be interesting. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. The palace intrigue continues. How appropriate. How appropriate with a big storm. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. All right, Coit. Pleasure, as always, uh, to everyone else. Happy start to 2024. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to, to much more here as we get into the new year. Thanks again. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.